I think that now there's such a need for authenticity and sincerity. Mm-hmm. And more than ever before, it's so important to not sound reedy when you're reading and yeah. because they want it to sound like it's, you know, these are your thoughts, these is, it's your passion. And so it, with that being said, I think the trends being that it's, it's just an overall a sort of the directorially, especially when I'm directing, I'm going for authenticity. And my big word is I always say toss out conversational and put in the word connected because conversational can be very misleading because what's mm-hmm. conversational for one may not be conversational for the other. Very but true. when you say connected, it's more universal in terms of really being attached to the message that you're saying. Welcome to Audio Branding, the hidden gem of marketing. I'm your host, Jody Krangle, and this podcast will discuss just how sound influences our behavior. I generally talk about this in the context of advertising and marketing, but there are other places this is important too. I really feel that it plays a much more important role in our lives than maybe we realize. So let's delve a little deeper. This is the first part of my interview with Jeff Howell. My next guest launched his voiceover industry career as an agent at Abrams, Rubeloff & Lawrence, then crossed over to the creative side by serving as casting director, radio producer at Burt Burtis & Company, and then was hired as the VP of production at Worldwide Radio. Yes, I said radio. During his extensive career, he has had the honor of casting, representing, or directing such notable actors as Marlon Brando, Gregory Peck, Martin Sheen, Jeff Goldblum, Owen Wilson, Sally Kellerman, Leonard Nimoy, and James Earl Jones. He has produced radio commercials for hundreds of national accounts, including Chevy, Bud Light, Visa, American Express, Starbucks, McDonald's, and a ton more— and network radio TV promos, including CBS, Fox, Comedy Central, Food Network, A&E, and Nat Geo. He served as the post-production supervisor and director for various sci-fi audio novels that were produced by Leonard Nimoy and John Delancey. He has directed narration for Fox Searchlight, Travel Channel, DIY, Food Network, and the Smithsonian. And it doesn't end there. (laughs) Currently, he's running his own company where he is producing and directing all things voiceover, including animation, commercials, promos, narration, dubbing, and IVR. Recent projects include directing the Emmy Award-winning animated program Wally's Opening Day, casting the animated feature Monkey Prince, and casting and directing the dubbing on numerous international features and episodic programs for Netflix. He's teaching voiceover acting at various schools in San Francisco, as well as workshops and private coaching in Los Angeles, New York, Chicago, Boston, Seattle, London, Dublin, and Dubai. His name is Jeff Howell. And with his extensive knowledge of the industry, along with the changes that have happened and the trends of today, this is going to be one interesting conversation. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Jeff. I really appreciate it. I know you're busy. <laughs> Thankfully, I'm busy. Yes. Uh, yeah, that's a good I'm thing. Glad to be here. <laughs> so I wanted to ask you to start with, how are you doing? Because this is really weird times right now. <laughs> it certainly is. You know, I have to say, I, of course, have been in touch with a number of actors and buyers mm-hmm. and, of course, good friends and family. And everyone is, I think, doing the best they can in this uh, strange time. You know, we're sure. all having to uh, be isolated. And, you know, I'm trying to use it 
in terms of just being productive around the house, getting to those jobs that I just haven't been able to do. And then fortunately, like <laughs> yeah. I was saying to you before, I have actually had work, which is great. That is good, um, yeah. You know, I'm blessed that way. Uh, but I'm just trying to use the time and be productive. But, you know, there's just, like you and I were talking about before, that it's just, it's an odd time in general because it's something about being said that if it's your choice to stay inside and isolated, but it's another thing to be told that you shouldn't go outside. And it's just, it just screws with your mind, you know? yeah. It's totally true. It's yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not being able to do something is different than doing it because you want to. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Definitely. Now that we've got that weirdness out of the way. <laughs> I know. And how are you doing? Um, I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm I'm generally an introvert to begin with, so it is very much a matter of I'm being told to stay inside, which is normally what I would do, so now it's upsetting me. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Uh, but, you know, otherwise this is Thursday. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know. Right. Right. So, yeah, kind of uh, par for the course, kind of what I'm used to, but uh it's funny the industries have changed. Mm-hmm. Um and and I'll we'll probably get into this with our discussion today but uh but yeah so I'm finding that trends are changing and I'll ask you about that too. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, I'd love to talk about it. Well, first off, I want to know how you got into this in the first place because I know you were an agent for a while too, mm-hmm. right? So how did yes. that all start? It's an interesting story, and I'll try to give you the shortened version of it. But the bottom <laughs> line is, growing up, I realized as I, uh, you know, entered into adolescence that I was uh, leaning towards the performing arts in terms of you know being just attracted to film, television, and stage, and became involved in the local theater where I grew up, and then and also in school. And then when I decided to go to college, I thought that it would probably be more profitable for me to lean away from theater and to lean more towards television, radio, and film. So I chose Boston University to go to because they had and still have a a tremendous communication school. And also, I just like the idea of being in Boston and the New England and going to college in that area. I grew up in Virginia. Oh, okay. A very small town in Roanoke and then a small town Mm -hmm. outside of Roanoke called Vinton. And it's a wonderful part of the country. I still Mm -hmm. keep in touch with friends there. It's beautiful, you know, but I just, you know, you're 18 years old. You want to explore. You want to go to new places and bigger cities and things like that. And I really wanted culturally to be fed that way by just expanding myself. So anyway, I chose BU. Great school. Had a wonderful time there. And during my time there, I... I'm, I'm just the type of person, I'll joining things, I like, you know, uh, doing all that. So I worked in the radio station, at the radio station there, at the television station there, at a PR company down in Boston. I was an intern there for years. And then after I graduated, I ended up working at this PR company. And not that I really wanted to be in PR, but I enjoyed the process of learning how uh, important um, publicity and and uh, advertising is for clients. So anyway, so I did all that. And then, uh, I, you know, of course, being in the New England, I wanted to go to New York and live in New York and work in New York. And I had a mm-hmm. job offer at CBS, uh, but it fell through at the last minute because they had a hiring freeze, and this was in the uh, early 80s. Mm-hmm. And so then I thought, screw New York, I'm going to move to L.A. <laughs> and so I moved to L.A. And just through some contacts here, I ended up becoming an extras casting director and and ended up working on a, a multitude of uh, films and television shows um, and did that for a couple of years. And then the company went out of business. So I started temping at talent agencies and hadn't really thought of voiceover and uh, was placed at an agency called Abrams, Rubeloff and Lawrence. And they had a very active, big voiceover division. 
And I immediately felt at home in that department. And I think it was because mainly uh, the close interaction you have with the talent. And at that time, I had never heard of actual uh, recording studios in talent agencies before. And mm-hmm. so one of my jobs was to book, you know, have the schedule, the talent to come in. And then I ended up, because of my theater training over the years, they realized that the agents and they wanted me to start directing. And so I started directing and I love that. And the actors love my direction and it just felt so natural. And then through happenstance, I ended up becoming a full agent. And then two years later, I became director of the department and uh, worked there for six years and had a wonderful time. But then as as my sensibility and knowledge of voiceover evolved, I realized I really missed the, I wanted more, a closer interaction with talent and mm-hmm. to be on a, uh, interact with them on a more creative level as opposed to just a, you know, trying to acquire jobs for them. Mm-hmm. And, and so anyway, so I ended up getting a job uh, as a casting director at a busy production company called Bert Burtis and Company, and they were known for comedy radio. And that was really in the, in looking back, that was the renaissance in the heyday of radio, comedy and character radio. Mm-hmm. And we were very well known for that. And so I worked there for six years, uh, running their casting department and then starting to direct sessions myself. And then after that, I left and went to a competitor called Worldwide Radio. And they were big in commercials and promos. I have to tell you, trying to say that in your intro was just, oh, my God, totally my kryptonite. (laughs) Well, you know, I have to say it's for me, it just slips right off the tongue because I said it probably a billion times. I'm sure you have. For me, it was accurate. I think that the truth is that your brain is saying it's not W, it's R for radio as opposed to radio. But for me, it was so natural. So I didn't even think about it. But so many people would laugh at that. And especially when you're talking to like radio um, uh, telephone operators and and people leaving messages and saying, yes, I'm from Worldwide Radio. And they'd say, I'm sorry, where? And so it was really funny. (laughs) But anyway, so I worked at Worldwide Radio as VP of production uh, for 17 years. And during that time, it was during that radio, well, the television commercial strike, radio strike that happened mm-hmm. in the early 2000s. And so we kind of pivoted a little bit to survive and we ended up going into promo more. I mean, Paul Fay, the owner, it was amazing at being able to, uh, I mean, he had already had extensive contacts in the promo world. And then we just sort of amplified that, built on that and built a real, a really heavy uh, promo business there for quite a long time. And it was just, again, the renaissance of promo. We were working with a lot, a ton of the major networks and, um, and cable nets. And uh, so that was a, a great time. And then the business, as we all know, business changes. And, and so uh, there was a slowdown in the industry throughout the, like around 20, Let's see, when was it? Like 2016, I think, 2015, 2016. And so Mm -hmm. Paul ended up having to uh, basically reduce the staff greatly. And so we all got laid off. And I ended up using that as an opportunity to just springboard and become independent. And so I ended up running up, starting my own company. And I was um, blessed with being able to have a few of the clients that I had had at Wadio follow me because I did so much work for them and they Mm -hmm. uh, liked my work. And so they followed me. And so I was able to kind of start my business based on that. And uh, I was again, blessed with some good fortune that I just had some contacts over at LA studios and they said, why don't you move in here? We have an office upstairs. Why don't you move in here? And we'll try to sort of create a, a role for you here where even though I'm independent of LA studios, I still work with them on productions whenever they uh, have someone come in and say, we need casting or we need a, you know, a talent person, they'll use mm-hmm. me. 
And I'm very fortunate because not only do I work with LA Studios, but I work with both Margarita Mix Santa Monica and Margarita Mix Hollywood because they're all three owned by Photochem. And so anyway, so and, and since then, that was four years ago, I've been able to work on a tremendous variety of productions, which has been great from animation, uh, a lot of narration, uh, documentaries, uh, directing some documentaries. And then in addition to that, I've really etched out a, a sort of a place in the dubbing world. And now I have a really strong uh, relationship with Netflix. And mm -hmm. I believe, I haven't counted lately, but I've uh, ended up direct casting and directing I think about seven feature films, uh, foreign features, and two different uh, episodics. I'm working on my third one now. So anyway, so that's sort of my trajectory. I, I think that whenever anyone says, what do you do? And I say, well, I do anything voiceover. You know, I, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I can handle talent payments. I can handle casting. I, mean, I did casting for years. Mm -hmm. And of course, producing and directing is what I love. And so I've helped projects uh, just from start to finish. And uh, so anyway, so, and I love working with talent and I teach a lot and mm -hmm. and I speak at a lot of the conferences, you know, Vio Atlanta, Vio North, uh, you know, so, so well, I, I know just we've enjoy met that. at these as well. Yes, so yeah, <laughs> exactly. And, and I, yeah. I just love the interaction with talent. I mean, I, mm -hmm. I, I think that in a previous life, maybe I was a talent manager, maybe, I don't know, because I really do <laughs> take such a personal investment in, in their careers as much as I possibly can. Of course, you mm -hmm. know, we all get stretched too thin, but bottom line is I love it. I love voiceover. I'm just every day so happy that I found this part of the business and it found me, you know, that's great. Yeah. Speaking of working with the talent, I'm curious about the trends that you're seeing, because I know you've been in this for a while. So mm -hmm. from from when you first started getting into this to mm -hmm. now, like, I mean, there's got to be this huge difference in oh, gosh. the types of voices and the types of spots that are being produced, the right. types of well, things that are yeah. coming out. It's it's amazing the transition that I've seen. I mean, I've been in this for over 30 years. And, yeah. you know, when I first started the talent pool was much smaller. Mm -hmm. And I think that what was interesting was when I first started, voiceover was sort of this invisible sort of part of the business. And the general sort of acting population sort of looked down on voiceover because they thought it was just a bunch of announcers. <laughs> and at that time, the reads were very announcery. They were sure. still using a lot of those big announce guys. And, and um, you know, and certainly there was a lot of character radio there. And but the TV spots were generally, you know, announcery. And the networks only had uh, specific voices because they were identifiable. Of course, at that time, there were still really only four networks and a couple of cable nets. It wasn't certainly as big as it is now. Mm -hmm. uh, so the variety, the uh, number of people in the business, I think it was just so, so very small uh, in, in comparison to the on-camera business. And, and again, it was kind of looked down on. But then there was a transition that happened that I saw in the 90s, and that was when the celebrities started uh, clamoring for some of these bigger campaigns because they realized it was, you know, first of all, you go into a recording studio, you don't have to have makeup, you don't have to have wardrobe, you don't have to be there at 7 a.m. in the morning for makeup or 6 a.m. or whatever. Yeah. You can literally walk in, you go in, they throw a couple of scripts at you, you go in and you just be you because for celebrities, they want you to sound like who you are, they're not yeah. going to direct you otherwise. And and then you go in and you you know, read a few times or a number of times, whatever, and then you're done. And all of a sudden, there's a huge payout for you. And they realized, hey, this is actually a pretty good deal, you know? Yeah. Um, and so then I think that's when other actors started paying attention to it as well. And 
then all of a sudden there was a flood of people. We started seeing more and more people uh, starting to take classes, to study, to learn the craft of voiceover and doing demo reels and getting into agencies. And so all of a sudden the agencies started getting these the swell of submissions. And you know, also there was a time when I first started where it seemed like that if you were a known voiceover talent and you, you had this sort of identity, then you were in sort of a good position to continue booking. They were booking the same voice voices over and over and it wasn't uncommon to turn on the mm -hmm. radio and you'd hear the same voice within the same block of time doing various commercials because they were known talented voiceover people. So that was that time. Now it's just, it's, it's a wonderful time for uh, actors to be in voiceover and getting into voiceover because, uh, you know, people like new, they like fresh. Mm -hmm. And I think that now there's such a need for authenticity and sincerity. Mm -hmm. And more than ever before, it's so important to not sound reedy when you're reading and yeah. because they want it to sound like it's, you know, these are your thoughts, these is, it's your passion. And so it, with that being said, I think the trends being that it's, it's just an overall a sort of the directorially, especially when I'm directing, I'm going for authenticity. And my big word is I always say toss out conversational and put in the word connected because conversational can be very misleading because what's uh -huh. conversational for one may not be conversational for the other. Very but true. when you say connected, it's more universal in terms of really being attached to the message that you're saying and that you're speaking about. And, you know, oftentimes, as we know, I'm sure because you've auditioned on a million scripts, you know that mm -hmm. some scripts are better than others and some you're thinking, how, God, how can I connect to this? You know, and that's where the <laughs> acting comes into play. Yes, you know, exactly. that's why you get people yeah. like Marilyn Wisner who can train you in that area. You know? Exactly, um, yes. So anyway, but but I'd say uh, that it's uh, diversity uh, in terms of, you know, just types. And I think ethnic diversity is key. I think mm -hmm. it's an amazing time for uh, varying ethnicities to get mm -hmm. involved in voiceover, to be in voiceover. Uh, you know, I don't mind reading people. In fact, I love hearing people that have slight accents, even if mm -hmm. it's not called upon, because I think it's uh, the nature of our, our world. We're becoming a lot smaller. And I think that that just reflects the community in general now that to hear that diversity. And I think clients are hungering for that too. I don't think that every script requires a huge widespread or a huge net thrown at every ethnicity out there. But I do think that, you know, it's, I think it's interesting to hear a voice that has something uh, unusual or not just quite so, Caucasian in it, mm -hmm. even though I, of course, have a tremendous number of Caucasian actor friends, and they're all wonderful, sure. and they're great actors, but I do think trends being what they are right mm -hmm. now, there's diversity on camera, and there's definitely diversity in voiceover. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's great. I think that's a very good thing. Mm -hmm. So how do you find the voice talent that you use for your productions at this point? Do you go through ad agencies? Do you go like, or talent agencies? Or are there other ways that you find people? Uh, I go a variety of different ways. You know, I, I do have agents that I love and adore and mm -hmm. I know their talent and I will email them and I will say, this is what I'm looking for. And, you know, you can, you know, recommend people, recommend new people. You know, mm -hmm. I, it, you know, it used to be when I was in casting, I knew pretty much every single person in LA that was doing voiceover that was mm -hmm. out there working. And I could literally turn on the TV and play name that actor and just yeah. listen to all the spots. Sure. Now I can't do that because I'm not in casting as much anymore. And mm -hmm. there are just so many billions of people out there doing it from all across the United States, which is wonderful. Um, so yes, to answer yeah. your question. All across the world. 
<laughs> yeah, absolutely. I know. Absolutely. I've hired people in other countries. It's wonderful. Mm-hmm. I, I love how how uh, how many people are out there working and mm-hmm. and doing it, pursuing voiceover. So anyway, I go through ad age, uh, ta- sorry, talent agencies, and mm-hmm. I go through managers, and I will go through my own personal list. I have friends that do this that I think are wonderful, and I will sure. still reach out to them. I will use social media if I need to. Uh, in fact, currently, I'm right now casting today a project that I'm actually reaching out on social media because it's something unusual. I need Koreans, and oh, I don't okay. have... Uh, as an extensive uh, of a network of Korean actors to draw upon. So I'm having to outreach. And so yesterday I sent a bunch of emails to like the Korean Cultural Center down in Los Angeles and, Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, and and, uh, reaching out to various voiceover forums just to see if I can get some submissions out there because I have to dig a little deeper. Sure. But I will, listen, I'll reach out to wherever, whomever for any project. Uh, some don't require that much digging and some require a lot of digging. Yeah. So when you're working with someone who's fairly new, how do you get the best out of them? <laughs> it's an interesting question. Uh, well, you know, in terms of running an audition, I just do the best I can with, uh, you know, I, I will coach them as best as I can. Mm-hmm. I, I really don't believe the audition time is the time to really act as an acting coach. Yeah. I do try to, you know, use my extensive uh, acting coach experience when I'm directing because I think my goal is to get the best possible performance from you. Mm-hmm. What I don't want to do is spend a lot of time coaching you during the audition thinking or creating a performance from you or getting one from you that then when you book the session, I'm going to have to spend a lot of time with you when I won't have it during the production process to act as the coach. I need you to, in the audition process, to show me within a couple of adjustments or or reads that you're going to be able to grab the read relatively quickly. It's more Mm -hmm. natural for you. So the audition is not the time to be coached. The audition time is the time to show what you can do and then just, you know, take direction as best as you possibly can, Mm -hmm. you know. Uh, So my goal as a director is to create an environment where the actor feels 100% supported. Mm -hmm. Because over these 30 years, I've realized that the minute you set up a dynamic, whether it's, it's always usually by accident, sometimes just things happen. But, you know, if you set up a dynamic where it's a little bit adversarial, or if you feel, if the actor feels defensive, it's a lot harder to get a performance from that actor. So immediately when they walk in the studio or if I'm directing them on a patch, I, you know, obviously try to keep it warm and inviting and completely an open situation that I want the actor to be free to ask me any questions. Uh, I don't care how silly the question might seem to be. Mm -hmm. I'd rather to be fully, you know, uh, giving in terms of whatever information that actor needs in order to create the performance that we need. Mm -hmm. And then throughout that direct directing them throughout the session, you know, I I do my best to try to support the actor as best as I can in terms of, of, you know, getting the read that I need. But if I need uh, variations on that read or adjustments, I try to continue to guide them along in a constructive way and to also acknowledge the fact that more often than not, it's not the actor's fault if they're just not getting it. It's uh, sometimes it's just uh, it's it's a, a strange script that's 
either poorly written or just oddly written because of the demands of the client, which sometimes happens. And then also mm -hmm. sometimes they're overwritten. So the timing is off. And so the mm -hmm. actors will get frustrated. And I always want to, I, I try to reinforce it saying, listen, I totally get it. I know what we're <laughs> asking is a bit of a challenge, but the reality is that they've asked for all these words in this amount of time. So even though in your mind, you're thinking you're flying, we understand that and we'll do the best we can to, to hit the middle ground on that. So yeah. Like I said, I think the key for any director would be to create a, an environment that is not defensive and very welcoming and to be able to uh, share information. And, you know, directing uh, adjectives, directing uh, sort of uh, descriptions can be strange, too, because I could direct you and say, OK, Jody, I want you to do this, this and this. And then another actor, I could give them the exact same direction. And yet they may react differently because mm -hmm. they accept direction differently. So oftentimes for me, I have to very quickly assess based on my direction what it, you're going to respond to as a talent and then I try to a, adjust my direction to fit the way you receive the direction mm -hmm. and and then because again my goal is to get the best from you that I possibly can in the least amount of time sure yeah I was going to ask you that because you know the the realm of the producer and the the voice director I mm. mean that's it sounds to me like that's really needed in a session in order to get the best from the talent that you're hiring. Absolutely. I have to tell you, I can tell you countless stories of sitting in on sessions and especially when I was in casting mm -hmm. and I would, you know, cast the actor. They did a great job in the audition. And then I would sit in on the session and I would listen to the director from the ad agency uh, giving the direction and I could just see these blank stares coming through the glass <laughs> at me because they uh -huh. knew me, the actor yeah. did. And it's, I could see this help me. What, mm -hmm. what, what am I not getting? What, why am I not uh, able to give this director what he or she needs? Mm -hmm. And so I'd always have to resist because I didn't want to overstep my boundaries in terms of, I didn't want to, you know, all of a sudden say, well, let me direct the talent. But then sometimes what I would do is I would just whisper and say, you know what I think, and I would yeah, you know, I'd say to the the agency person, I'd say, listen, I think this talent is for whatever reason blocked by the direction that you're giving them. So if you want my suggestion, because I've worked with this talent before, mm -hmm. what might make this faster and easier is if you do X, Y, and Z. And if you do that in such a way that, you know, hopefully the agency person, you know, wouldn't get too defensive thinking that I was trying to tell them how to do it or what they were doing, you know, uh, they usually listen to me and they'd give the direction and typically it worked. So yeah, they're just, you know what it is, it's nothing against the ad agency folks because they're doing their jobs and all that. But some of them have never acted before. Mm -hmm. I've acted before. So I understand what it's like to be on stage. I understand what it's like to be on camera. I understand what it's like to be behind a microphone, even though, trust me, I am not an actor, <laughs> which is why I'm a director. But I'm glad I went through that experience because I know- well, You know the shorthand. Yes, I know what it feels like. I know what the language should be. I know what the direction should sound like. So, you know, you want to be as exacting as possible. People like my direction because I'm very specific. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes, it's just louder, softer, faster, slower. That's all you need. Uh, you don't have to get too flowery with it. That's very true. Yeah. And everyone's emotional shorthand is kind of different. Absolutely. Which is actually part of what I talk about in this podcast. Mm -hmm. <laughs> because sound being so important, each of us have a different trigger, I guess. It's true. And yeah. It's very, very so true. So obviously uh, a, a director for voice talent is very much needed. <laughs> 
It really is, you know, and, and, and during my years, especially when I was at uh, Burke Burdison Company and Worldwide Radio, there were times when I would, I, I told Paul, I said, I think we should try to farm ourselves out as uh, experts at production and voice directing and let me go and speak to some of the ad agencies and sit in a room, a conference room full of the juniors, because they oftentimes would throw the directing jobs to the junior writers. Mm-hmm. Um, and so let me sit there and explain to them about how to create casting specs, how to articulate that in a way that makes sense. Because how many yeah. times have you read casting specs and everything's contradicting each other? You know, they'll, <laughs> they'll, they'll say they want something and they'll put a prototype and it's like, well, this prototype sounds nothing like what you direct, how the direction is described, yeah. you know? Yeah. So, and so it, it's a matter of really, uh, I wanted to go in and actually try to help these ad agency folks to understand and give them the perspective. I think, to be honest with you, I think, uh, they're a little bit more savvy to it now, mm-hmm. or maybe their expectations are less. I don't know. Maybe the combination of both. But I think that from what I've heard from the actors, that for the most part, they're they seem to be not uh, feeling too abused by you know poorly prepared or, or bad direction from ta- from ad agencies. But once in a while, that does happen. So, mm-hmm. but I do think that voice directors are very important. They really are because voiceover is a very very specific skill. And I don't want to go so far as to say that the voiceover coaches and directors in town should be considered specialist, but to a certain degree, we are. We live in this world of voice Mm -hmm. and voice acting and voice direction. And we've been doing it. A lot of us have been doing it for a long, long time. And so I walk into a studio now with complete confidence. I mean, I never, I don't remember the last time I walked into a recording studio and thought, oh my God, I hope I can get through this session okay. I walk <laughs> in because I, I'm really not surprised by anything anymore. I've, mm-hmm. I've seen it all, done it all, heard it all for the most part in voiceover. So for me, it's just a matter of just quickly shifting gears and being able to uh, react quickly to whatever situation I'm given and or whatever, whatever um, the ad agency is expecting from me or whatever the talent is expecting from me or whatever the engineer is expecting from me. And because I've been through it for so long, I quickly assess what the needs are and just try to fit those needs as best as I possibly can. And nowadays things are changing pretty fast. So I, mm-hmm. I have to ask also, like, what has technology done for what you are learning when you go into each different situation? I mean, <laughs> there's got to be lots of things coming at you from that direction. <laughs> yes. Especially well, technology now. <laughs> is, technology's wonderful and it has made our jobs in many ways a lot easier. Mm-hmm. And it's allowed voiceover to, to uh, thrive and grow in many ways because now it's all over the world and you can, with a couple of quick clicks on a computer, I can be recording someone from India right now, you know, mm-hmm. yep. or directing someone from India. So that's great. I think the the thing, two things that are come to mind right away in terms of being perhaps uh, a negative regarding technology is number one is that everything is almost immediate. You know, I, I yesterday I was speaking to an actress who was saying that, She hadn't had any auditions all week, and all of a sudden she got a script, and the script said, oh, we need this in an hour. Wow. And fortunately, she was home, so she Uh uh, was able to go right into her recording studio at home and do it. But, you know, give me two hours. Give me three hours. Give me six hours. Give me a day. But just you need it back in an hour. But 
they can ask for that because you can do it. Mm -hmm. You know, it used to be that, you know, when I first started that the fax machine had just started going into talent agencies. So they were able to send scripts by fax and then we'd FedEx the auditions overnight and they'd get the agency, we'd get it the next day and then they'd take a couple of days and then we'd book the talent. Well now it's MP3s, you know, and you zip, zip, zip and record it now, send it out and they could make a decision in 10 minutes, you know? So, so what I'm saying is that I think that the technology uh, the negative, I think, is that it's just the expectation is more, a lot more immediate. We've made it such a fast business. And because of that, sometimes I think actors get crazed. They get nutty mm. because they've got so many auditions. They've had their busy day and they get home, you know, and they have to deal with their kids and putting dinner on the table. And all of a sudden they look at their inbox and their computer and it's 10 o'clock at night and they've got three auditions that are due by 8 o'clock uh, Pacific time or East Coast time the next morning. They're thinking, oh, I'm so exhausted. I just don't feel like doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so I think that has created a real, I think, a, a situation where it's negative. And then the other thing, I, I said there were two things. Second thing is that I think technology, we have these wonderful abilities now to be able to record from home and do auditions from home and all that. And it used to be you had to go into your talent agency and read. And there was something wonderfully social about going into a talent agency and reading. You'd see other actors. You'd see your agents. You'd check in with the voice directors there sure, and, yeah. and the booth directors and and say hello to the staff. And, you'd you know, again, it was almost like a support group. And you'd go in a couple of times, three times, four times a week. And, yes, was it a, a time burner? Yeah, by the time you travel, especially in L.A., if you live yeah. far away, it'd be an hour at least to get there. And you sit in the lobby and wait to go in the booth. Oh, yeah. Toronto's the same way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly. So you, you, you would you know, sit in your lobby for hours uh, and talk and read the scripts over and study them and go in the booth and record. But there was still something wonderful about that too, that Mm -hmm. connectedness there. And so right now, everyone is a lot more isolated. You're in your home booths, you're recording, whether it's an audition or a session. And the great thing is, look, what we're having, what we're experiencing right now, the voiceover community is still working because Mm -hmm. this is more of an isolated sort of uh, experience as opposed to on camera. Um, so, so I think the negatives being that the speed of our industry is just faster and faster because the expectation is such. And then also the separation of being social because now we're, uh, because of the wonderful technology, we're able to do this from home and be Mm -hmm. more isolated, but then we're more isolated and disconnected from people. It's true. Yeah. I mean, it's worked in our favor Mm. right now as we're going through all this COVID-19 stuff. But uh, but yeah. And, and, you know, in a sense, I guess maybe the quality might suffer, too. I don't I don't know if that's necessarily the case, depending on I think it depends on what you're doing. Exactly. I think that it's. You know, actors are more savvy now. That anyway, the, the good news is this: the technology is cheaper. Yeah, that's true. You know, uh, and and it's I think easier. It's more user friendly, or we're just adapting to it better because we're having to. Mm-hmm. Uh, combination of both. Uh, but I will say this: listening back to auditions when they're sent, when the a- agents send me the MP3 files, of course they farmed it out to their actors, and so each actor's recording it in their own home studio situation. Mm-hmm. So of course, when I get the MP3s back, there's a wide variety of quality of sound. And whereas if a talent agency brings all their actors in and reads them in, it kind of is a baseline. Everyone sounds the same. If it's a crappy sounding booth, then everyone's going to sound crappy, but at least everyone sounds crappy, you know? So it's not like one stands out as better just because they had a better recording situation. This has been part one of our interview. I hope you'll tune in next week for part two.
Well, that's the end of this episode. Thanks for listening. And if you like what you heard, please take a moment to give the podcast a review. It's greatly appreciated and super helpful. Until next time.